The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Today, it means you did not melt over the past week. My name is Dusty White. I serve here as uh, one of the pastors, and it's a joy to be with you in the Word of God today in Psalm 51. What if I told you that no matter how much you had messed up your life, that there was a way to get through it? There is a way. You are free by the grace of God to come clean. That's the way. And Psalm 51 shows us how to do that. Today, Psalm 51 shows us the need to come clean, the means of coming clean, and the effects of coming clean. First of all, our need to come clean. We're going to be on page 443. If you're using the Bible underneath your seat, if you don't have your own with you today, We'll be on page 443. That's where Psalm 51 can be found in that particular Bible. We're going to begin, actually, with the title and the superscription of the text. 
which we don't always read or look at, but that's what we're going to do today. In Psalm 51, we're going to start with the title and how we get this psalm. The title is, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Underneath that, you see, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this psalm comes to us from a particular moment in David's life. David has sinned. He took another man's wife because of his lust and his power. They get the best of him. Not only did he do that, he got her pregnant. Since she was pregnant, he tried to cover it up with more scheming. And so he decides to call Uriah, her husband, home from the battlefield. He gets him drunk. Probably not a good idea either. He sends Uriah home to be with his wife. But Uriah has too much character to go be with his wife because he knows that his duty of responsibility actually belongs on the battlefield. So he does not go inside. His fellow men are risking their lives in a war, David's war. It's a very stunning moment of contrast. Uriah plays it straight and upright all the way, while David obviously does not. So then, since that didn't work, David arranges for Uriah's death. I mean, guys, who needs Netflix <laughs> when you got the Bible? I mean, we got 2 Samuel, so you don't need any movies. Uh, Alec Mateer, in his Psalm devotional called Psalm 51, the Old Testament's central text on personal repentance. That's what David is doing here in Psalm 51. He's repenting, and repentance is turning from sin and turning back to God. And Psalm 51 shows us how to do that. But before we get into the psalm, let's remember why we even have the psalm. 2 Samuel 11 gives you the story. And 2 Samuel 12, chapter 12, verse 1 says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. So Nathan goes. He obeys. He's a prophet. And he's channeling all sorts of courage to go and confront a king. A king who just had a guy killed to cover his sin, which perpetuated his sin. So if you're Nathan, this is not your normal day. I mean, he is not the Amazon Prime guy just dropping off a package and getting out of there or dropping a memo and, hey, consider this. Nathan has been commissioned to go and confront a king who is for sure riddled with guilt but cannot awaken to it. So Nathan does it. And the Lord uses Nathan to help sober David up to his sin and repent. He does it. He tells him this. He does it by telling him a story. That story gets David going. It gets him angry, in fact. And Nathan says, hey, uh, if you want to be frustrated at something, that's actually what you've done. You've been sinning all over the place and you need to wake up to your own sin. If you want to be mad at something, get mad at your own sin and wake up to that. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, we read this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He wakes up. And Nathan said to David in response, the Lord also has put away your sin. 
you shall not die. I don't want you to miss this part. We get the personal repentance of David because Nathan had the courage, he had the obedience, the listening ear to the Lord to go and confront. So just as a side note, if you are prompted to courageously confront the sin of another, just remember that Nathan has already gone before you. That might be soon, it might be later, but Psalm 51 makes it into your Bible because of courageous Christian obedience and community because David needed to come clean and you need to come clean too. We all come in here as sinners in need of grace. That's why we're here and God welcomes us. Some of us come in with a clear and clean conscience, but others come in with guilt. We come in with schemes and secrets and Psalm 51 provides hope for change. We all come in here as sinners. Psalm 51 verse five says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So from the time of birth, we are sinners. Uh, I just visited a baby uh, that was born into our church family this week at the hospital and babies are amazing. They're transcendent. Like when you hold an infant, you, at least me for right now, right now in my moment or my time in life right now, I just hold an infant and I don't say anything. It's just this profound moment. Then we sometimes will talk about like, oh, he has like mom's features or dad's features or, you know, these kinds of things. You know what we never say? We never go, what a cute ball of sin. <laughs> I'm so excited for this sinner to just grow into our family. But Psalm 51, verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So from the time of birth, friends, the good news is we're sinners. And David's guilt reminds us of our own guilt. And here's what I want you to know. Guilt is good. In one sense, guilt is a gift that allows us to feel, it allows us to accept that we have done something wrong. It pricks you, it prompts you, it helps us hope and wish for change. So when we blow it, guilt is what we feel. When we do things that are wrong, when we hurt people, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally, when we fall short, when we overcommit and aren't men and women of our word, when we manipulate, when we fail, guilt is what sets in for us. We all have experienced this. I don't need to explain it to you. Uh, early on in our marriage, when we started having children, uh, and we have six kids, and JC and I decided early on, you know what we're going to do is just once a year was our commitment. We're going to try to get away for just a couple of days. And so when our kids were younger, there was sometimes full matrix or like in a full Excel spreadsheet on just how we were going to actually pull this off. And we would try to pull it off just for like 48 hours. And just a couple weekends ago, our kids are much older now, so it's a lot easier. And uh, we snuck away to Kansas City a couple weekends ago, and we just reflect on how great God has been to us. We catch up with one another. It's a little bit more than just a sync up. There's no meal prep. We kind of ignore our phones for a moment. And I always love 
and cherish these moments with my bride. But also, I also know how to crush her and hurt her more than anybody else. I know how to crush her or serve her like Christ serves the church. And when I look into the face of my wife, knowing that I have scorched her heart, I can see her pain and I can, in that moment, feel my guilt. And then that guilt, when it hits, you know what I'm talking about. It gives me that opportunity to take responsibility and to apologize. When I recognize the pain, I also recognize the depth of harm that I'm capable of, the evil within, to use Psalm 51's language. And in that moment, a battle takes place. It's this battle between good and evil. Evil, pride, wants me to blame shift, defend, make excuses, outmaneuver. And at the same time, the, the, at the, same time, the good of guilt wants me to vulnerably admit my wrong, come clean, take responsibility, and work towards reconciliation and restoration. And the amount of forgiveness that I receive is directly related to my willingness to be truthful, to be exposed, and to be surrendered. Will she have me back? Will she receive me? This is what makes guilt so painful, but also forgiveness so liberating. Guilt is also one of the reasons that we just moments ago confessed our sins here as a church. Every Sunday when we gather together, we build into our liturgy a confession of sin on Sunday mornings as Justin just led us through moments ago. Week after week, we're acknowledging our guilt together and coming clean corporately. We need to come clean. And our need for cleansing is obvious. I don't have to convince you of guilt because you have a conscience. And that is a God-given conscience. The Lord gave it to you. So guilt is a gift because it awakens our desires for forgiveness and freedom. And pastorally, as I've been reading this psalm from the moment that I knew I was going to be preaching on this psalm, I started to have certain concerns. And, and my concern is this. I'm going to share it with you. My concern is that perhaps, perhaps, you have buried your guilt so deep that you cannot even listen to it, even though your God-given conscience has tried to point you to hope and to bring you to freedom. And maybe, maybe even a Nathan, a friend, presented it to you but you've schemed your way through and I just want to ask you, I want to beg you to come clean. Not for my sake, but for your sake, your relationships, but also most importantly, your rightness with the living God. So how do we get clean? That brings us to the means of coming clean. Well, let's look at the psalm together. Verses 1 and 2, Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The first step in coming clean is that we must go to God. True guilt always takes us 
to the true God. And we cry out to God, have mercy. And according to your steadfast love is, is covenantal language. David knows that he is unworthy, that he is filthy in this moment, but yet he also knows that he still belongs. Wash me thoroughly, cleanse me. This is all laundry language. He's comparing himself to foul garments that have to be washed and washed and washed again. Uh, my, my, my kids have played baseball. My sons have played baseball. There are no way to get baseball pants clean. Amen, moms? The best way is pressure washer, by the way. Like you just put those things on the ground in the driveway and you just pressure wash the dirt right out. That's the best way. This is, what, this is the language David is using. Wash me, cleanse me, keep it going. It's laundry language. Wash me. This is why Christian baptism isn't optional. Baptism reminds us that Christ takes our sin into the grave with him. And when we come up out of the water, it's symbolizing that he gives us new life in Christ. It's symbolic of cleansing. Wash me, verses three and four. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In going to God, in getting honest about his sin, his sin begins to loom larger and larger and larger. And he sees God's holiness. He sees his unworthiness. And so the intensity starts to pick up in verse 3. My sin is ever before me. It's right here. It's staring me down. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, this, is adult this adultery and this murder is no private matter. Other people have been affected for sure. And there's wrong all over the place in the narrative. But notice in verse 4 how David has awakened against you. You only have I sinned. In 2 Samuel, David's main question was, how do I get what I want and then cover my tracks? And in Psalm 51, what we get now is, how could I even treat God like this? Evil, the evil within. I've done what is evil in your sight. I mean, when was the last time that you just came clean with God and you said, Lord, I have sinned and I have done what is evil in your sight? We, we don't use the word evil. We don't really like the word evil. We use the word evil when we're talking about other people or other things or situations. We don't like the word evil. Evil is a very humiliating, it's a very dark and stark word. We'd rather say things like, at least I do, like, I, I slipped up, I messed up, it was an off day. Ray Ortland, writing on this psalm, puts it like this. If God is gracious, loving, and merciful, we can stop lying to ourselves with soft words. True confession and repentance trust God enough to use blunt words. Recognizing sin as God sees it is the only way to get free. Let me say it this way. To experience true forgiveness, you have to see your sin accurately because it's evil. To see our sin accurately is to see it as evil. David has sobered up in verse 4. 
because he starts to see the evil within. He recognizes with a godly grief, not a circumstantial grief. He's not worried about his consequences in this verse. He's coming clean to the living God. He's also not dismissing his sin against Bathsheba or his sin against Uriah. Verse four is not saying that he hasn't sinned against others, but verse four is focusing on the root of all evil. He's addressing that. Let's pick up in uh, verse seven. Listen to the language in Psalm 51, verses seven through 12. Purge me, wash me, let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Renew my spirit. Cast me not away. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me. And so request after request after request, David is coming to God and he is saying simply, clean me up. So the means of coming clean, what are they? First of all, we ask God to cleanse us. That's your first step, asking God to cleanse you. God brings the restoration. We bring all the brokenness. We bring the broken things, we bring the broken situations, and we come with humility and we come with honesty and we request to the living God. God meets us there. He brings the restoration through Jesus Christ. Jesus, who knew no sin, he was fully clean, becomes sin on your behalf. He takes on the filth so that you can be washed. He takes on your evil so that you could be made right. Friends, Jesus is why you and I can repent. And the means of coming clean then are we ask God and then we embrace the glorious good news of Jesus who became dirty on our behalf. That's the means. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. For some here today, You've been praying that the Lord would re restore your joy. You've talked to friends about it. You talked to another friend about it. You've tried to look for some podcasts on it. But perhaps you haven't read these first 11 verses in a while. And I just want to suggest to you that, hey, God wants to restore your joy for sure. But you might need to repent your way into it. David has not blame shifted. He has not wallowed towards self-pity. He has not gone into despair. David hasn't snuggled up to the idea of, uh, hey man, it's cool, I just need to forgive myself and move on. All of those options don't bring true cleansing. So David doesn't go there because it would be immature. Instead, to even ask God to restore the joy of his salvation, he comes to terms. He's coming to terms with his complete unworthiness and also his confidence in God. He has confidence in the steadfast love of God, the unconditional love of God. That's verse one. He also knows that he has done what is evil in God's sight. That's verse four. So catch this. He is simultaneously unworthy and confident in the covenant of God. That's the good news of Jesus Christ to us. We are completely unworthy of what Christ has done for us, and yet we are simultaneously confident in what he has done for us in the new covenant. Therefore, friends, 
We can repent. Listen to Tim Keller on how this plays out in his commentary on Psalm 51 or his, his mention of Psalm 51 in his recent book, Forgive. He says this, if you feel only unworthy and not confident, then repentance will not work. You will beat yourself up, hoping God will have mercy. If you have confidence, but not a sense of deep unworthiness, you will feel self-pity and will not change. David is absolutely humble and sees he is unworthy and yet is completely confident. This is the secret to really changing. It is not enough to say, God is a loving God and I have broken his heart. This is too abstract. Jesus was on the cross looking at all of us and saw us denying and betraying him. And yet, in the greatest act of love in the history of the world, Jesus Christ stayed. He saw what we are like and he stayed on the cross. When you see Jesus dying for you like that and you know the reason he died is because of the sins that you do every day, you will want nothing to do with sins, with your sins. So we have confidence in who God is, in our unworthiness. Having considered our need for coming clean and the means of coming clean, let's look finally at the effects of coming clean. The effects of coming clean. Here's what I need you to know. Your sins do not just affect you. Which, by the way, when we're in the throes of sin, we do not see the relational, emotional, spiritual, communal, collateral damage that is taking place. Your sin doesn't just affect you. In verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then in verse 13 and following, we see the effects of David coming clean. Look at verse 13 with me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Basically, what David is saying here is God, if you would be so kind and so merciful to pour out your covenantal love on me again, your steadfast love, verse one again, then I'm gonna teach, I'm gonna sing, and I'm going to declare to others how marvelous your righteousness is. Do you see the 180 in the narrative? In 2 Samuel, it's sexual sin and self-focus. And at the end of Psalm 51, it's salvation, sacrifice, and service. David is saying, in my sobriety, I'm going to stay sober and I'm going to stay mindful about those who are around me. He's moving from sin and selfishness to humanizing people and seeing human beings. It could have totally ended at verse 17, but David knows that his sin doesn't just affect him, and so he goes on with two more verses. Verse 18, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. 
Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Why, why end it this way? Well, David is a leader. David is a king. Zion is the city of God, which Travis Barrett walked us through in Psalm 48 just a few weeks ago. David, in his repentance, is beginning to be concerned for the people. He knows that the effects of his sin have a ripple effect on the people of God. He also knows that if he personally and publicly repents of his sin, he will make the real story of God non-ignorable. The walls of the church, the community, becomes stronger with repentance, not weaker. If you just fell asleep, I'm going to repeat that again. The wall, hear me on this. I need you to know this. The walls of the church become stronger with repentance, not weaker. And you tend to think the opposite. The walls of the church become stronger with repentance, not weaker. And pastorally, I just need you to know that. That's true. We are strengthened when things are in the light. Um, in 2013, I can recall this is kind of this weird little moment that I had of repentance. Uh, our team was away. And I had to repent with my fellow elders and our church staff at that time. We were away on a strategic retreat. We're planning. We're discussing some things about where our church currently was, where we needed to go, stuff like that. It was that kind of a couple of days together. And a task that I had committed to and that had been given to me was surfaced during our conversations because it very much affected the conversations we were having. And... Uh, that came up and I had not followed through. I had not done it and I had dropped the ball and the guilt set in. But instead of asking for help or instead of owning my failure in that moment, I said out loud, I literally said, I got this, which was, thanks for laughing. I, I hear you over there. <laughs> probably Fosse laughing at me. Uh, I, I, I literally remember saying I got this, which was a really dumb thing to be saying because I did not have it. I mean, there's like proof here that I did not have it. So that day, the Lord stripped me of that pride. And that phrase, I got this, has died a slow death, but a pretty significant death in my character. The reality was I didn't have it. Not only did I not fulfill whatever the thing was, I couldn't tell you what the thing is now. Now in my pride, I was defensive. I was not coming clean. The odd thing was obviously it had not happened, but I was still saying that I could or I would or, and it was just this really dumb moment because everyone was looking at me like, uh, no, <laughs> that's not happening. I could tell you where I was standing. I could take you back there if you want a field trip where the Lord began to strip me of this pride in my soul. And moments later, the leaders in the room reminded me about the grace of the gospel. I don't got this. I don't have this. And in that moment, I was humbled. But I also, I also would propose to you that our team was strengthened that day. I was strengthened. And I think our team was strengthened. And I think the church was strengthened because the sin of pride was getting out 
And the opportunity of humility was getting in. Now, the pride was my own. It was me. It was personal to me. But it was deeply affecting our team. It was deeply affecting some of the effectiveness of whatever we were trying to do that day. It was mine, but others were affected. And since then, some of my friends who were in the room that day have brought that up to me as a moment of change that began to take place. And that moment of repentance is still affecting me to this day. Uh, when I coach Little League Baseball, and one of the things that I say to hitters as they're about to go up is I will usually say like, hey, you got this. And I actually hesitate to say that. <laughs> that phrase is gone. I can't say I got this. You guys can say that if you want. I can't say it. The Lord has stripped me of that. David's story is not his own. Your story is not your own. My story is not my own. Your sin and your repentance are not your own. It all has a ripple effect. So what if I told you that no matter how much you had messed up your life, friend, there was a way to get through it. Psalm 51 is an invitation to come clean. And you're here today. That is not by mistake. And maybe I just get to be Nathan for you today. I'm simply a messenger bringing you the good news of Psalm 51 and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not, I'm begging you to not sear your conscience. Wake up to the gift of repentance, the gift of grace. I brought with me a Sharpie today. And it's a real Sharpie, okay? And uh, I know that Psalms like this Scripture like this, moments like this, when we're talking about sin and we're talking about guilt, some of us feel okay and others of us feel very heavy. And so I want you to think about your sin. I'm going to put a dot right here on this wood slat, okay? If you gave to our building campaign a couple years ago, we appreciate you. I just put a Sharpie dot <laughs> on the wood slat. All the purists in the room are super bothered right now. <laughs> I'm actually really bothered as well. So I have a plan, okay? I'll figure it out. I got it. <laughs> Here's what I want you to think about. The reason I put that Sharpie dot up there is because it's true in Psalm 51. Verses 3 and 4 are there. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. It's right there. And so in those verses, it's like right here, okay? All I can see is that dot. But I want you to take the entire psalm into context. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. I want you to think about the wood slats behind me. I want you to think about the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for your sin. And I want you to see your sin in comparison to the steadfast love of God and his covenantal blessing on your life. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. No sinner has ever come to God in repentance and been refused. And no one ever will. Sin is heavy. It's burdensome. It's heavy until you and I come to him and we unburden ourselves. 
There's a bunch of reasons why we don't. One of the reasons we don't come clean is because we've made peace with sin. And because we've made peace with it, we've decided to carry it. But the backpack of guilt gets really heavy. Listen to me. You're really self-sufficient and strong. Congratulations. But your self-sufficiency will weaken and wane. And so why not unburden yourself to the full sufficiency and grace of God? God's sufficiency is eternally mighty. And Jesus is willing to unburden it for you today. Your sharpie dot of sin cannot outweigh the grace and the mercy and the blood that Jesus Christ has poured out for it. So come clean. That's the invitation of Psalm 51. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we come here today because of your grace, because of your mercy, and because of your steadfast love poured out to us as your people. Uh, I want to pray for a handful of different groups of people in the room. I pray for those, of, those in the room who have not submitted their life to Christ Jesus and have not uh, come to faith in him, that you would continue to draw them to you because of your grace and because of your mercy and because of how you relieve guilt and you remedy it in Christ Jesus. So I pray for them. I want to pray for my friends in the room who feel riddled with a guilty conscience that you would help them to unburden themselves today. It's going to take courage. And so I want to ask that you would give them the courage to lay down the backpack of guilt and to see the steadfast love of God looming larger and brighter and bigger. God, I pray for those in the room who have a clear conscience and need and perhaps need to be a Nathan or a friend of confrontation. Would you give them the courage they need? We receive Psalm 51 today wherever we're at and we ask that you would propel us forward to love you more wholeheartedly and that you would strengthen our church as we do it and that we would love those around us. And so Lord, have your way with us with this psalm in your name. Amen.